Welcome to worship. My name is Jacob. I'm the preaching minister here. It's great to, to worship with you guys. The message this morning is a continuation of our series, Words of Life, the uh, commands of Jesus. We've been trying to take this seriously, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then, what does it say? Teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. What is everything? Well, we want to make sure we hear the words of Jesus. The fun stuff, uh, the stuff that we're already doing, cool, count it, man. I've been doing that my whole life. And then also the tough stuff. And this morning might fall into the category of some tough stuff. Jesus said, love your enemies. We want to teach that and we want to obey that. But we're going to find it's, it's a challenge. We're going to dig into that a little bit this morning. Uh, before we go into the word and the message that I put together this morning, let me just offer a quick prayer. Lord, this is a prayer asking you to speak through me. Speak to your children, your people, those who have shown up this morning and said, we want to hear a word from the Lord. We want to hear the transforming words of life from our God, our creator, and the Savior, Jesus Christ. So Lord, we take a moment to acknowledge that you are speaking. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to change. If we need to change something in our lives, give us the courage to do that. Let us support one another as we do. This is not something that we're called to do alone. We know that you are with us, but as your church, let us hold up one another in prayer and in friendship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, how many of you are in school right now? Raise your hand if you're taking some kind of class. Yeah, yeah. Or raise your hand if you've ever been in school to show me that you'll, you'll be able to relate to this. Sometimes when you're in school, the teacher or the professor will allow you to throw out your lowest quiz grade. Nod your head if this sounds like something I'm not making up. Yeah, uh, it's true. You, they'll say at the beginning of the semester, you know, whatever your lowest score is, I'm just going to cross it off because I get it. Sometimes... Things are hard. Sometimes life makes you busy. And that's a good thing. If you're a student, you might go, hmm, okay, this is, this is a good thing to keep in the back of my brain. Because if you're dealing with a unit or you're having a really hard week of your studies, you're like, I'm not even going to do well on the quiz. You might think, oh, but you know what? I get to throw out my lowest quiz grade. It's not going to count against me. So you know what? I might not even take the quiz. I'll just take a zero, but it's fine. Or you might at the beginning of the semester say, all right, I already know when I'm going to use that get out of jail free card. I know I'm going to have a busy week the second week in November. That's my sister's wedding and just things are chaotic. I'm going to already, I'm not even going to try to study that unit because I don't need to because the quiz grade gets thrown out and it's not really going to alter my overall understanding of the subject matter. So they do that. That's, that's a handy thing for students to get to do. But the thing about it is even if you don't learn the lesson from that week, even if you don't take the quiz, the lesson itself doesn't go away. The subject is still there. You were still supposed to have learned that whether or not you actually did. When I was 16 years old, like a lot of 16-year-olds, I was excited about getting my driver's license. I was in Washington State. I'd studied. I'd taken driver's ed. And I show up for the test. I'm behind the wheel. The grader is there with his clipboard, and he's like, oh, I pull out into traffic, and oh, I hope I do well. And I failed two sections completely. Didn't even do them, didn't partly right. And one of them was parallel parking, 
and one of them was backing around a corner, which I don't even think they let you do that anymore. I think that's illegal now, but in the 90s, we're backing around the corner left and right. So I'm taking the test, and I'm getting ready to parallel park, thinking, I got this. I practiced this. I'm about halfway through the maneuver, and the instructor says, stop the car. Put it in park. That's it. And then he wrote something down on his clipboard. I assumed that was bad. Uh, and then the same thing with backing around a corner. I didn't do any better. And at the end of the test, we pull back into the DMV, and he said, okay, you failed parallel parking. You failed backing around a corner. Here's your license. I went, what? I still get to drive? I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit somebody with this two-ton vehicle. And he's like, nope, yeah, you, you passed it, but you still were, you had a passing grade well enough that you get to go and drive. But here's the thing, parallel parking did not go away just because I was not required to show that I knew how to do it. It's not like the DMV called up every curb in Washington and said, hey, Jacob doesn't know how to parallel park, so we're going to put a valet there. So when he shows up, just take his keys, park the car for him, he, he gets exempt from it. No, it was waived, but the parallel parking did not go away. And I think in the same way, there are some commands of Jesus that we wish would go away. We wish that we could drop them and say, you know what, I don't want to even try that one because it sounds kind of nuts. Sounds a little hard. I'm just going to take the zero and I hope it doesn't count against me. And as we've been saying, the good news of the gospel is that it doesn't necessarily count against you. You do not have to be perfect in order to receive the saving grace of God through Jesus Christ. Amen? Is that good news? But, like parallel parking, that doesn't mean it goes away. Whether or not we do it well, we can still be saved by grace. But, Jesus' commands still stand. This is still the, uh, the, who's in the word? The standard that he is calling us to. That doesn't go away. And I think we're going to find one of those things that maybe we wish would go away in the command we're going to hear this morning. Listen to what Jesus says. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full, but love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back, and then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So if you've heard me speak enough times, you've probably learned that my favorite Christian artist of all times is a man named Rich Mullins. I love Rich Mullins. I love uh, the lyrics that he writes. I love his melodies, his tunes. Uh, awesome God was written by Rich Mullins. The song, Step by Step, You Lead Me. That's a Rich Mullins tune. I was watching a YouTube video recently, uh, a concert that he did before he died. 
And he was about to do the song step by step, and he was just kind of giving a little testimony, a little talk. And one thing that he said was, if you want a religion that makes sense, then I don't think Christianity is going to be for you. But if you want a religion that makes life, well, I think this is the one. It's an interesting warning. If you want a religion that makes sense, Christianity is not for you. I think that that's true. Christianity does not make sense in the way that we think it should, especially when Jesus comes along and says things like this, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Aren't we tempted when we hear that to maybe raise our hand and say, uh, Jesus, maybe don't, isn't there maybe a possibility that you've got your sermon notes upside down or something? Because that doesn't sound right to me. No, no, you, uh, Love, that's something that I reserve for my friends and family, the people who love me back. Doing good, that's something I do for people who deserve it and people who appreciate it. And I got to tell you, Jesus, I'm not in the habit of blessing those who are cursing me. And when it comes to people who mistreat me, well, you said we should pray for them. Well, I, I got a prayer for them, but it's not a prayer for them. It may very well be a prayer against them. Because that's what we're supposed to do, right? I'm not supposed to take revenge into my own hands. That's what you taught us to do. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that one up to God. But I'm not going to pray for them. I'm going to pray that God takes care of them, if you know what I'm talking about. Maybe that's what you meant to say, Jesus. And Jesus' reply to that is, well, of course you're going to say that. <laughs> that's, that's a natural response. That's how everybody thinks. Loving only those who love you back, that's like basic cable. That's a starting point. Even wicked people do that. That's not hard. No, you heard me right. The kingdom way is this. Love your enemies. Isn't it funny how often we think that, that maybe God got it wrong? <laughs> maybe we want to do that thing where we say, wait, maybe you said it wrong. I, I, it probably wasn't me who misheard you, but maybe you're, you're confusing a couple things here, if we think that we can take a zero on Jesus' command to love our enemies, then we might actually be following the wrong Jesus. I'll tell you a story. When Lisa finished up her master's degree, uh, 2007, we had saved up money and we said, when she graduates, we are going to take a trip to Europe. And that's just what we did. We spent a couple weeks in Italy touring around. And then the, the end of our trip was going to be in Vienna, Austria. I was like, cool. Let's go. I've never been there before. Let's give it a try. As we're anticipating that trip, I realized, hey, we're going to be in Austria on a Sunday. Let's find some Christians to worship with. We did some research online. We ended up finding this, uh, this school. It was like a uh, college or something like that, where they had an English-speaking worship service. I contacted them and said, hey, what time is it? You know, we want to come and worship with you guys. And the guy who was in charge emailed me back. He said, how about this? Why don't you show up and preach that Sunday? And I said, okay, that sounds cool. I like to preach. I'll go preach in Austria. What could go wrong? Uh, <laughs> so I did. So I planned a sermon, and we went on our trip. We got to Austria, and that Sunday, I woke up early, had my sermon notes, I had the address of where this meeting place was. I, I knew I wanted to be ready. So we show up, and we're earlier than it started. We get to this building, and we're not quite sure where to go. Uh, we don't see a lot of people, but we hear some voices coming from upstairs. So we go up the stairs and into this little side classroom, and there's maybe like 10 or 12 people, and they're sitting around with their Bibles open, and they're having a little Bible study, and it's all in German. And I said, okay, 
I guess this is it. So we stick our heads in the door, they wave us over, they sit us down, and they hand us a, a German Bible, and we open it up, and we're trying to follow along. Lisa and I don't speak German, but uh, we're trying to go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it seemed like the right place to be. It seemed right. So we sat through that for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. I start wondering, like, when do these people want to get up? When, when do they want me to get up and start preaching uh, in English? I hope that they'll be able to understand. This, this is a little different than what I expected. After a while, and they hadn't invited me to do anything but follow along, Lisa and I start going, maybe we're in the wrong place. But we didn't get up. We still sat there for a little bit longer because, like I said, it seemed right. This is the right address. This was the right building. This was a group of Christians. They seemed like, the, the, sure, this is probably where I should preach. But eventually, we realized maybe where we're supposed to be has already started, and we're late. That's exactly what happened. So we, we got up. We left the, the German Bible study. We go downstairs. We hear voices coming from another classroom. I stick my head in the door. There's already a guy up there, and he's, he started preaching already. As soon as I stick my head in the door, he goes, are you Jacob? I said, yeah. He goes, you're up. <laughs> I, oh, okay. <laughs> kind of flustered. I go right from the hallway to the pulpit. And uh, not the point of the story, but that sermon did not go over very well. And they weren't happy that I was late. But... We eventually realized we were in the wrong place. And I think that's true of how we follow Jesus sometimes. Sometimes we stay right where we are because it seems right. It seems like we're in the right place. This seems like the kind of thing that Jesus would want us to do. Or maybe just the thing that we're supposed to do. And when it comes to this command, I think that hating our enemies seems right to us. Because that's what pretty much everybody does. That's, that's to be expected. You should hate your enemies. They hate you anyway. Or maybe just avoiding our enemies. Good for me. I'm not, I'm not attacking them. I'm not bad-mouthing them. I'm just going to keep my distance from our enemies. Avoiding our enemies seems right. You know, you don't have anything nice to say. Or, you know, let God heat burning coals on their head. I feel like I'm doing the right thing, avoiding my enemies. Or we might even go one step further and say, I'm going to tolerate my enemies. I'll still be around them, and I will tolerate them to us, that seems like going the extra mile. But we need to double check that we are in the right place when it comes to this command and what Jesus actually says. Because it turns out we are not supposed to be in the hate your enemies, tolerate your enemies, avoid your enemies Bible study upstairs where you don't understand a thing that they're saying. Where we're supposed to be is downstairs with Jesus where we hear him say, love your enemies doesn't feel right, though. It still just doesn't seem right to us a lot of the time. But it's something that we're going to have to get used to. And Jesus understands. Jesus knows that this was going to be a struggle for us. He tells a parable in Matthew 20 about some characters who ask the same kinds of questions of God that we are tempted to ask. A question that goes like, God, that just doesn't seem right to me. Maybe you made a mistake? I want you to hear this parable. I'm not going to put the words up on the screen because I just want you to hear the story. Jesus tells it in a very vivid way. He paints a very clear picture. Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. He went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard, and he agreed to pay them a denarius, one day's wage, for the day, and then he sent them out into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. And so they went. 
He went out again at about noon, and about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. And then at about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing out here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call in the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then going on to the first. So the workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each of them received a denarius, a full day's wages. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received one denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Bah! These who were hired last only worked one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work of the heat of the day. But the landowner answered them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same that I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. In this parable, Jesus reminds us about the generous nature of God. He reminds us that God wants to love and forgive and bless. Not just the hardworking, but also the slackers. Not just the deserving, but also the undeserving. What do we hear from the scripture that Rick read for us earlier? He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Here's a tip. Don't follow him if you don't want to see God rescue the people from Nineveh. Don't follow him if you don't want to see him give a full day's pay to people who haven't quite earned it. Don't follow him if you want to see him forgive liars and murderers and the worst of the worst because you're not going to change his mind. This is in God's nature. It is an outpouring of his love and generosity that is at the core of who God is. You remember back in Exodus how God identified himself to Moses? They did a whole sermon series on this a couple years ago called the God Creed. This is from Exodus chapter 34. Like, who, who am I talking to? What's going on here? God says, here's who you're dealing with. The Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, and maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's who I am, God says. That's who you're dealing with here. We are not going to change his mind. We are not going to talk God out of loving at all costs. This is the God who gave his son, who laid down his own life to save a wretch like me. And Jesus, we have to remember, didn't just say, you ought to try to love your neighbors. Jesus said, come and follow me. I'm going to take you to a place called Golgotha, where they crucify people. And I'm going to show you how much I love my enemies and what it looks like to lay down your life for someone else. Real love, sacrificial love, that Jesus love that we're trying to live out is powerful. And it heals people. It changes people. It transforms the world to look less like what we expect it to be or what seems right. And it makes it more like the kingdom of God. But again, it's hard. It is not easy. And it takes so long sometimes 
can't just love your enemy and they'll go, oh, okay, I'm, I'll stop being so rotten. You've changed my life in one interaction. It doesn't always go that way. We need to realize that it might cost us something. There's no guarantee that it actually will change someone's heart in a way that we will see anyway. That is true. That's true. We need to acknowledge that. But when it does, when it happens, and we can take those stories of what Jesus said was so true, and here's how I know it's true. When we can put those in a jar and take them out and share them with people, it's, it's a beautiful thing. That is what we want to see happen again and again and again. We need to tell these stories. When I was a kid, my mom had this little, uh, little white cassette tape that she would put on our family stereo. And it was these, uh, these lessons for kids about how to be kind and how to love each other. I think they were called Agape Land or, or something like this. Uh, and there was one story about some kids. And they encountered a neighborhood bully. And the story stuck with me because it just, it made sense to me as a kid, but it absolutely illustrates what Jesus is saying here in such a clear way. And so I found this on YouTube. I didn't know what I would even do with a white cassette tape nowadays, but it's on YouTube. And I, I copied the clip and I want to share this with you right now. This is the story of the trouble with Tuffy. And maybe it'll inspire us and maybe it'll illustrate what Jesus is calling us to do here. Go ahead and show this movie. One problem Stevie and Nancy had was Tuffy. Tuffy was the meanest boy on their block. He lived with his father in an old green house that needed some new paint with a yard that was mostly weeds. No one seemed to know Tuffy's real name, but because he got into so many fights, his nickname seemed to fit just fine. As you might guess, Tuffy didn't have many friends. In fact, he only had one, a scruffy little black dog named Alex. One day, as Stevie and Nancy were walking home from school, they saw Tuffy under a large walnut tree near their house. He was throwing rocks at the bird nests in the tree, and he was laughing. Stop it, cried Nancy angrily. That's not funny. What if those nests have eggs in them, or baby birds? Who cares, said Tuffy. He threw another rock. Why don't you mind your own business? Alex, who never strayed too far away from his master, growled angrily at Stevie and Nancy. So the children went on home. What a meanie he is, Nancy said angrily as they walked. How would he like it if someone threw rocks at his house? That night they told their father all about what had happened. Their father thought quietly for a minute. Well, Nancy, he said, I don't think that throwing rocks at Tuffy will help him change his ways. But I think I know what will help. What should we do, the children asked. Their father had a little twinkle in his eye. In the Bible, Jesus said to feed your enemy if he is hungry, and if he is thirsty, to give him something to drink. In other words, be kind to your enemy. Do to others what you would have them do to you. That's the plan. Kindness. You mean we should be kind to Tuffy, Stevie asked, even after all the mean things he's done? You're exactly right, his father said. And so, Operation Kindness began. For the next week, Stevie and Nancy put the plan into action, but it wasn't easy. One day, Stevie offered to help Tuffy study for a test. Tuffy just laughed at him. The next day, Nancy baked Tuffy some chocolate chip cookies. Tuffy took one bite and pretended not to like them. These are awful, he said. I wouldn't even feed these cookies to my dog. He threw them on the ground and snatched Alex away before the dog could even sniff at the crumbs. By the end of the week, 
Stevie and Nancy were tired of Operation Kindness. It was so hard, and it just didn't seem to work. Tuffy was meaner than ever. Then on Saturday morning, the children passed Tuffy's house and noticed something strange. The little dog, Alex, was nowhere in sight, and Tuffy was making sniffling noises and wiping his face with a handkerchief. Hi, Tuffy, Stevie called from outside the fence. Oh, it's you two again, Tuffy said in a snuffly voice. Why don't you leave me alone? Is something wrong? Nancy asked. No, Tuffy shouted. I've just got something in my eye. Where's Alex? Stevie wondered out loud. Alex, oh, he's just... Suddenly, to the children's surprise, Tuffy began to cry loudly. They hurried into the yard and sat beside him. Dog catcher took Alex to the dog pound, Tuffy explained between sobs. Alex doesn't have a license, and I don't have money to buy one, and my father doesn't care. Tuffy began crying again, and Nancy cried too, because Tuffy wasn't tough anymore. Just sad and lonely. Wait, Stevie jumped up. I have an idea. We'll help you get Alex back. How? Tuffy asked with big tears in his eyes. By working for the money, that's how, he declared. Come on. And work they did. They mowed lawns. They pulled weeds. They washed cars. Finally, after many hours in the hot sun, they had enough dimes, quarters, and dollars. They bought the new license. Then they ran to the dog pound. There was Alex in his cage. When Alex saw them, he wagged his tail so hard it looked like it might fall off. When the man opened the cage, the dog jumped into Tuffy's arms and licked his face. Tuffy held on to Alex as if he would never let go. Finally, Tuffy spoke. Thank you so much for helping me get Alex back. I'm sorry that I was mean to you before. Nancy thought for a moment about her chocolate chip cookies. It's not always easy to be kind, but that's what friends are for, to help no matter what. And we're friends, right, Tuffy? Stevie asked. Well, yes, Tuffy began. I'll be your friend on one condition. Why, what's that? Nancy asked in surprise. Will you bake me some of your cookies again? I really did like them, you know, Tuffy admitted. Why, sure, Nancy said, and they all laughed. Yes, it all worked out. Enemies became friends. Uh, the hearts of the, the angry were softened. Uh, but it doesn't always work out that way, right? It doesn't always go the way we want to do it. We don't always have a neighborhood bully that is just very clear illustration of who our, our enemy actually is. I think in real life, sometimes it's hard to know who your enemy is. You might be tempted to think that you don't have any enemies at all. You might remember when Jesus was teaching about loving your neighbor, somebody raised their hand and said, hey, uh, you know, who's my neighbor? I want to get this right because I don't want to go loving everybody. So give me a nice small parameter of like who I need to love and who I cannot love. It's kind of a weaselly question. We might be tempted to say the thing, same thing. Like, hey, Jesus, who's my enemy? Because I don't really think I have any enemies. I'm a good neighbor. I'm a nice person. 
I'll love them if I find them, but honestly, I can't, I can't even think of one enemy that I have. Wait, okay, I thought of one. The terrorists. The, yeah, the terrorists, they're always out there. They're going to come after me. Here's what I'll do. I'll say a nice prayer for the terrorists, and cool. I've loved my enemies. Done. Uh, Jesus, in this passage, says, well, let me help you. Anyone who hates you, anyone who mistreats you, anyone who takes something from you, anyone who borrows things and doesn't return them, anyone who sins against you, anyone who wrongs you at all, these are the ones that I'm calling you to love and bless and pray for and do good to. Turns out our enemies that we are called to love are not just the people with guns on the other side of the world. They might be much closer to us than we realize. They may be people that you already know, whose names you know, who you consider to be friends. People like Judas, who will break bread with you and then stab you in the back in the very same evening. This might be who Jesus is talking about. Your enemy might even be somebody who lives in your home. The movie Fireproof is a story of a husband and wife who become enemies. They're on the brink of divorce when the husband is challenged to actively show love to his wife again. It's a really good movie about loving someone who doesn't deserve to be loved and what you do when you're trying to show love to somebody and they don't love you back. Here's the good news for us this morning, is that sometimes when movie companies make trailers to preview the movie, they basically tell the entire story of the movie in two minutes. So, uh, I want to show you this two-minute preview, which is essentially a two-minute Cliff Notes version of the movie Fireproof. Uh, go ahead and show that. Okay, let's go! Man, I'm Captain Hope from the Albany Fire Department. But we're going to get you out of here. Let's go, let's go! One, two, Newspaper called me twice wanting an interview. Seems I'm a hero with everybody in the world except my wife. Man, I've seen you run into a burning building to save people you don't even know, but you're gonna let your own marriage just burn to the ground. Catherine and I were in love when we got married, but today we're two very different people. We fight more than we do anything else. A real man's gotta be a hero to his wife before he can be to anybody else. But he ain't a real man. She's probably whining to her friends. I can see them all right now having some sort of group hug. It's gonna be all right. You'll get through this. All you need to make marriage work is a little bit of romance. That comes from right here. Man, that's easy to say when you ain't never been married. We're done, Dad. I am not gonna keep doing this. I want you to hold off on the divorce for 40 days. I'm going to send you something in the mail. Take one day at a time, then see what happens. Every day has me adding a new concept to the way I treat her. My advice is go all out. In the last few days, he has fixed me coffee, bought me these pitiful little flowers, and just now called just to see if I'm doing okay. Up to this point, my heart's not been in it. It's not working. You can't love her because you can't give her what you don't have. You gotta beg God to teach you how to be a good husband. And don't just follow your heart. You gotta lead your heart. No love is not a fight, but it's something Fireproof. Never leave your partner behind.
stories, they uh, might come across to you as corny or unrealistic. Uh, in real life, hard hearts aren't always softened nearly that fast. I know, I know, I'm trying to acknowledge this. I think even Stephen and Stevie and Nancy and Kirk Cameron in the other story, they both have acknowledged this. This is harder to do than it is to, to, to say. But again, these stories hold, help us hold on to this beautiful vision that Jesus is trying to present for us. And like the Old Testament prophets who kept saying the Messiah is coming and coming and coming to a people who were like, we don't see it. We're not, we're not so sure. We're ready to give up. It's like, no, no, no. We have to hold on to this vision. We got to stay with it. I think Jesus is doing the same thing for us. We have to tell these stories about hearts transformed and lives changed because the love of God is so much more powerful than hate. And it's so much more powerful than anything else. We need to hold on to this. We need to keep telling these stories and casting this vision. So in the movie Fireproof, which again, is a good movie. I recommend seeing it. The husband accepts the challenge called the love dare. It's this commitment to take 40 days and actively show love to his wife, even if she doesn't respond to it. So for us, in the spirit of the love dare, what I want to call us as a congregation to do is something similar for the next six days. For the rest of this week, I'm going to put a challenge each day on our Tri-Valley website, trivalleychurch.org. And these are going to be based in the words of Jesus that we heard this morning from Luke chapter 6. To pray for your enemies, to do good to those who malign you. And each day there's going to be a different challenge, a practical thing that you actually choose to do or not do in an effort to love your neighbors and to take this command seriously. I don't want us to just be a congregation of people who are saying, you know what? It's okay if we take a zero on that command because that's really hard and we got a lot going on and nobody really expects us to do it because then we'll go on seeming like we're following Jesus, but we actually aren't. I want us to be the kind of followers of Jesus who say, it's possible. And it's not just possible, but it is necessary. It won't just change me and the person that I show love to. It will transform our society. It will really, and I mean this, literally change the world. That's what I hope will happen. So please, each day this week, starting tomorrow, go to our website, trivalleychurch.org. If you're not computer savvy, just call me and I'll tell you what it is, uh, or you can text me. Uh, but there's going to be a different practical challenge, a way that you can love your enemy each day uh, this coming week. That's all I got. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your words. Thank you for the ones that uh, affirm us and remind us that we're on the right track. And thank you for the ones that challenge us and uh, call us to something that we maybe we've never done before. Call us to realization that, that we need transformation, not just in our way of thinking, but in our hearts. Lord, please soften our hearts toward our enemies. Help us to trust that you are working in their lives as you're working through our actions. Help us to not just give up on this command to do what Jesus is calling us to do. Thank you for this word that is challenging. We're, we're thankful this morning for this congregation of people that we can do this alongside uh, of. And I just pray that you will, will change us and, and you will, you're a life-changing God. You are a world-changing creator. Uh, you make the weak strong. You make the poor rich. You do this through Jesus Christ. You do it in ways that we don't expect that surprise us left and right. So we pray this morning, Lord, continue to surprise us. Continue to change us for your kingdom purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.